The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning. Really great to be with you and to have a packed house. As was already said, welcome to our guests. Uh, open house experience. Cairn days are really a great opportunity for you to come and see who we are. And I'll get a chance to talk to you a little later on today. But I always like these days. because I like coming out of my office down towards chapel on these days, while all of you who are guests are sequestered in here, uh, the students are corralled outside in the Stern's missions lobby, picking the tables clean, uh, which is always good. So uh, really uh, like those days, like the energy on campus when you're here, really great to have all of you here, great to have the students here, hoping that everyone does have a great uh, weekend, that the Lord will bless, uh, bless your time this weekend, that you'll uh, have a good one. Uh, getting work done, enjoying the activities, uh, or just getting some rest. And, uh, you know, it's not that long ago that uh, we had the fall break. And as I've said many times, the fall semester starts hurtling by us. Uh, very soon will be the Thanksgiving break. You'll come back from that and commence what we right around the corner. And uh, we'll be on our way to Christmas. A little surprising. Uh, I've had moments of uh, frustration walking through department stores that are completely Christmas-oriented already which I think started Labor Day weekend. So, uh, but, uh, but uh, it is interesting how quickly the fall goes. I'm enjoying uh, sharing with you in this series, and I want to continue this morning, Sound Judgment, thinking biblically about the disciplines of mind and heart. And for the sake of all of us, uh, and especially for our guests, a little bit of review in terms of what we're doing. Uh, in this semester, what I wanted to do is to, to focus on... Uh, thinking biblically about the disciplines of mind and heart, that we would not be subject to uh, our emotions and irrational thoughts, the things that come flooding over us in the moment, that we would not be enslaved to our circumstances and our uh, sort of spontaneous, immediate reactions to those things, but we begin to back up and think biblically about our life, about the circumstances of life, about our thoughts, about our emotions, to bring to bear some teaching from God's Word not just on specific situations or emotions and feelings, but more about how we should be approaching those things. We started the semester talking about the need for sound judgment, to actually be thinking about these things, not just thinking and feeling our way through life, but take some time to reflect on how we think and feel. We've talked about the ways in which the world around us and the culture shapes our thinking about those things and influences us. This idea that if you feel something, based upon an experience or an emotional reaction to something, that you should just act on it. That, that what you feel is really uh, beyond your control. That it is what it is. You are who you are. And you just move through life and react in whatever way you feel is appropriate. We've made the argument in the series that that's really not a biblical approach. That we are not enslaved to our circumstances or to our immediate reactions and responses to things. That God has given us a way that he teaches us in his word that we are, to, we are to approach our minds and hearts with a degree of spiritual and self-discipline. We've talked about those things. Neither are we to borrow from the world its approaches to mind and heart. It's so tempting to do that. We looked at a passage early in the semester from the book of Romans where those Christians are probably 
a very good sort of uh, example for us because they were living in a culture. Remember we said all roads lead to Rome. They were living in a culture that was highly secularized, influenced by pagan religions and the secularism of their day. They were trying to live out their Christian faith in that context, much like you and I find ourselves. And the early church struggled with this issue of syncretism, borrowing things from the world around it and folding it into our theology and our approach to life. We see this today in our culture. There's a fascination with Eastern religion and all kinds of other secular self-help ideas that find its way into our Christian thinking, and that's not the way we're to orient ourselves, not the way that we're to approach mind and heart. We do not give in to those forces around us. The Bible has taught us how we should view these things. And so remember, we talked early on about the power of pausing, the teaching from James that when we find ourselves dealing with anger, that we don't buy into the cultural uh, 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 affects of the day, that, that, that we don't buy into the idea that, well, if you feel angry, express it. Punch something, kick something, throw something. That, that what James actually says, we're to be slow to speak and slow to anger. We talked about last time the power of preaching to ourselves, having the truths of the Word of God so indwelt in us, so so incorporated into our thinking and feeling that when we find ourselves in a situation of despair and agony and discouragement or depression, we call to mind, like the prophet Jeremiah, this I remember, great is thy faithfulness. Today what I want to do is zero in on another approach that I think is very biblical, an important discipline of mind and heart. And I want to use it, I want to talk about it in the context of dealing with a set of, of emotional or mental things that we struggle with. Today, in thinking about sound judgment, thinking biblically about the disciplines of mind and heart, I want to talk about fear, anxiety, temptation, and the power of praying. So let me sort of unpack it uh, in addition to the passage that Dean Porcella read for us about how we are to deal with anxiety from the Lord's own teaching, to not be anxious, but to trust God, to seek the things of God, and to seek His righteousness. The truth is that fear and anxiety and temptation are very much a part of life in this world. In fact, dealing with fear, anxiety, and temptation is what it means to be human in a fallen world. These things are real. They're powerful. But they're not insurmountable, despite the fact that the world would convince us that they are. Because God knows what grips us, and He cares about our struggles, and He gives us grace to face these things. We are not simply to be subject to them, that that, as these things come upon us, we fold. God doesn't want that for us. He he cares for us, and he, He gives us grace in the midst of those struggles. I was thinking this morning and uh, talking with my wife about chapel this morning, and I said I was going to deal with fear, anxiety, and temptation, and she asked, why those? And I said, don't confuse things. i got to do this today. It's kind of a fear and anxiety go together. I mean, it's often they're synonymous, and we have difficulty distinguishing one from the other. And I would make a very fine distinction that when we're talking about fear, we're talking about that that crippling sense that if you do something, you will be harmed. Anxiety is sort of the sense that you're going to do without, this sort of pervasive sense that something bad is going to happen. Uh, They're pretty much similar kinds of things. I don't want you to get hung up on the terms. But it's fair to say that a lot of us, most of us, all of us at some point in life deal with, deal with fear and anxiety. But there are probably some folks in the room 
who are not necessarily wired and predisposed to that. You're sort of uh, going through life, you're not someone who's given to fear and anxiety. I was telling Mrs. Miller in my office this morning, I have a family member who actually said this to me one time, every time I get in the car, I'm worried I'm going to get a flat tire. I tell you the truth, I don't know how you get through life if every time you get in the car, you're worried about getting a flat tire. I, I, driving is, must be agony. And for that person, it is. I've known them a long time, right? You don't want to ride with them, right? They're completely preoccupied with the flat tire. You're driving on carpet, and they'd be afraid of a flat tire. Like that kind of gripping thing. But some of you just aren't wired that way. It goes right off of you. But I want to talk about the power of praying. And I do think that fear and anxiety, some of us in this room are struggling with in a bigger way than others. All of us are subject to it. It faces all of us, whatever it might be. And temptation is another one. We face these things on a regular basis. And I want to talk about them in the context of bringing this particular discipline of mind and heart to bear on it that we be thinking biblically about, about fear and anxiety, even temptation, and that we would embrace what I'm going to talk about today, which is the power of praying. When I think about these things of fear, anxiety, and temptation, it is that they are real. In moments of honesty, which you should have with yourself and with some friends and those that, that, that know you, that you do have fears and anxieties, that you do struggle with temptations. It'd be naive of us to think that in a room like this, these things wouldn't be present because it's a room full of human beings, broken, fallen human beings in a broken and fallen world. It'd be naive to think that because even the Apostle Paul struggled with it. What did he say? The things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The reality is this is what we face. Even as Christians, we deal with the realities of life in a broken and fallen world. And so we deal with these things. So what do we do when they hit us? How do we respond? You know, it'd be interesting for you to do some self-reflection. How do you respond to these things? What happens when you are faced with these? And I think if we took the time to, to actually talk to one another and to think about it, we'd find that we all have different yet somewhat similar experiences with them. Your experience may be somewhat different, but in general, this is this is generalized to all of us as human beings. We all have different yet similar experiences with them. We all have different yet at times similar responses to them. We all fall into patterns of dealing with them. Some of us have strategies for dealing with them. Others of us have approaches in dealing with them. And some of us have a lack of strategy and approaches and patterns in dealing with them. In fact, that is our pattern to just avoid it. It's also true that some of you in here are struggling with it, and we've talked about every emotional and thought pattern that we've talked about all semester. Some of you are in here having relatively mild, occasional bouts with fear and anxiety, even with temptation. Others of you have embraced these things, and actually they've become a part of your life, and they're so woven into your life that you can't even separate them from your normal experience. And others of you are crippled by really debilitating fear and anxiety and obsession with and, and, and overcoming, being overcome by temptations. I recognize that in the room. Remember, we've been saying all semester, this isn't about zeroing in on any one of you or one group of you or any one particular emotion. Think in these terms. We're all having different experiences, but we're all human beings made in the image and likeness of God, living in a fallen world and dealing with these things. 
So what makes these things such a problem? I've spent some time thinking about it, and I've been preparing for this morning. What makes these three such a problem for us? And I'm convinced that it's two things. It's the nature of them and how they affect us. It's also the sensibilities of the world around us when it comes to these things. And we as Christians need to be challenged to think biblically about these things that are part of life in this world and biblically about how to approach them. Well, one of the things I think the nature of fear and anxiety and even temptation do, to, do and create a problem for us is this. It's the way, they, the way that they actually occupy our space. And the truth is that sometimes they just come upon us. We find ourselves in a situation, a situation that is conducive to being fearful or anxious ridden about something, a situation that, that has exposed us to temptations in ways that we wouldn't be exposed to if we weren't in those situations, whatever they might be. And I think that's one of the things that's very difficult about these, is that fear, anxiety, and temptation often grip, grip us in the moment, and in so doing, they cripple us. They render us subject to the swift-moving currents of the circumstances we find ourselves in, our emotions, our thoughts, even our weaknesses. But listen, brothers and sisters, surrendering is not our best or only option. And that's what happens to us. They come on us in a moment, and we think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. It's here. I find myself dealing with this particular thought pattern. I'm being tempted by this particular situation. It's, it's on me, and I can't outrun it. I can't defeat it, so I might as well give in to it. You find yourself in a situation where you're crippled by fear and anxiety. I can't move forward, and you just acquiesce. You surrender. The culture around us actually feeds that. Listen, it, you don't have to go through that. You don't have to experience Stop resisting. It's only natural. These are the things that the world around us would say. Go with it was a big thing when I was coming up. Just go with it. Just go with what? Just go along with the crowd? Just go along with the temptation? Just go along with the emotional reaction to something? You're swept up in it, so just go along with it. But surrendering to what we're experiencing is not our only or our best option. And that's one of the problems with these when they hit us, is they come on us in a moment, and we're forced to make a moment's judgment. How will I respond to this right now? And I think that for many of us, either by experience and the patterns we've developed over a course of our lives, or the cultural sensibilities that have, been, that have been sort of found their way into our lives and we've adopted them as we just say, well, it is what it is. You can't do anything about it. You just kind of have to go with it. And that's not true. In fact, it's not only not true, it's a lie that will do you great harm. But the other thing about it is that at times these things, fear, anxiety, and temptations, are things that we obsess over. They don't happen in the moment. We're actually obsessing over them. We cling to them. We wrap ourselves up in them. We become dependent upon them. We're identified by them. And ultimately, we're driven by them. They become the purpose of our lives. But listen, our time and energy are to be given to other things. And that's the danger of these things. They come on us in a moment. You're given a snap opportunity to respond but then there's also this other side where we find ourselves obsessing over these things. Now, when I think of obsession, I think you, you tend to think, well, that's a bad thing. That's like an addict thing, right? That's like a, no, it's just sort of being completely preoccupied by something, even when it's not in front of you. 
The best illustration I could give you is this crazy dog that resides in our house. A number of years ago, I started hitting these practice softballs, these rubber softballs for him. It's like his favorite thing to do. The thing is, he's so obsessed with the ball that even when he's inside and he's whining and we think, well, he has to relieve himself or something's bothering him outside. No, no, he has to get the ball. He's so obsessed with it, he knows exactly where it is. It could have been three days earlier. He knows what shelf in the garage it's on or next to what tire it rolled under or where in the yard he left it last. He's completely obsessed with that ball. I sometimes think it's the only thing he thinks about except at mealtime. Is that stupid yellow ball. He's completely upset. His, it's, it's almost like you think, you know, you, you are a bird dog. You're supposed to do other things besides chase yellow balls. But he's so obsessed with the ball. And I think that happens to us sometimes. We, we have something in our lives, a fear or an anxiety or a temptation, and it so becomes part of who we are. We're clinging to it. We wrap ourselves around it. We obsess on it. We think on it all the time. We develop a relationship with these things. It isn't just that they come on us in moments. Sometimes... These things of fear, anxiety, and temptation are our best friends. But listen, the Bible says that our time and our energies are precious things and they should be given to other things. So what do we do? Well, this morning I just want to offer a very, what I think is a practical approach to this. It is in no means the only thing that we should be thinking about with regard to fear and anxiety and temptation. And it is by no means... Uh, I'm not trying to offer you a, a trite or contrived strategy for doing something. I actually want to talk about this issue of praying because I believe that it is a powerful discipline. And in keeping with the series on thinking biblically about the disciplines of mind and heart, I think it's important for us to think about prayer as a discipline that serves us well in the midst of fear, anxiety, and temptation. So often we think about prayer, if you think about it, the way that, that you have come up maybe through the Christian faith, whether you've been walking with the Lord a long time or you're relatively new, if we asked you sort of your thoughts on prayer, there'd be a lot of similarities about what it is, talking to God, expressing ourselves to God, all of these kinds of things. But if you actually talked about when do we use prayer, we'd have similar yet diverse experiences. I've seen prayer used to calm people down. I've seen prayer used to ramp people up. I've seen prayer used as crowd control. I've used prayer as crowd control. <laughs> we use prayer to signal the beginning of a meal and the end of a sermon. We use prayer in all kinds of different ways in our Christian expression and Christian culture. But brothers and sisters, it's been given to us as a gift. God has given us access to Himself. Not through the priests of the Old Testament, but through His Son, Jesus Christ. And he has given us the privilege to come to him in prayer. And so what I want to do is talk about praying. I do not want this message, particularly as it pertains to, to dealing with the struggles of fear, anxiety, and temptation, to be one related to the power of prayer. Some of you have been praying and praying and praying to be released from something, and you are not. And you're discouraged and you're overwhelmed by it. You're depressed by it. You're despairing over it. I have prayed and prayed and prayed. And still no relief comes. No answer comes. And you think, I should stop praying. No, listen, if you're praying and there's been no answer or no relief, you are in good company. Read the Psalms. 
If you're praying and there's been no relief or no answer, read the book of Job. If you're praying and there's been no relief or no answer, remember the Apostle Paul praying three times for that thorn to be removed. We don't stop praying because we haven't gotten relief or we haven't gotten an answer. I'm not talking now about the power of prayer in the sense that if you pray to be free from fear and anxiety and free from this temptation, what does that do? How does God move? I don't want this to be a discussion about the power of prayer. It's one thing to talk about the power of prayer, and it's worthwhile to do so, but I do think we should also be mindful of and be discussing the power of praying because it's an action that is beneficial in and of itself. Praying as a discipline of mind and heart can and should be an act of humble submission, honest expression, and genuine petition to God. And it's beneficial to us. But this is what happens to us. Even in, even in living out the Christian life in this world, right? Um, some of you know uh, that my son is in the military, and, and I remember uh, thinking about this and talking to believers who are, who are in the armed services, and they said it's a great place to witness because there are no atheists in foxholes. When you're faced with that kind of impending fear and the threat of death, everybody prays to God. Um, everybody who prays to God in the foxhole is not preserved from death. But something happens to them when they actually pray in that situation. But there's so many things in the, that swirl around in our cultural expressions and thinking about prayer, both inside the church and Christianity and outside. And look, the thing you need to remember when you're talking specifically about this issue of fear, anxiety, and temptation is that praying is not a Hail Mary pass. It's not an act of final desperation and a last resort. It's supposed to be our posture as Christians. It's supposed to be our first response. And what happens to us, we think, I've got nothing left. Nothing left. I'm going to throw a Hail Mary and ask God for help. But listen, in the book of Colossians, where those Christians were struggling with this issue of syncretism, the, the, the creeping in or the embracing of worldly and secular ideas, the Apostle Paul warned them in chapter 4, verse 2, continue stad- steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He didn't simply mean, hey, you should pray once in a while, it'll help. He's saying, no, no, steadfastly praying, continue in it, be watchful, be watchful. What does that mean? It's our first response. It's our first response. We should be continuing in it. It should be our posture. It should be a way of life for us. It's not a Hail Mary. It's not a last resort. But listen, neither is praying praying to be merely a pragmatic remedy for what we're facing. It's not a coping mechanism. It's an act that changes us. We call out to God, and in doing so, we are realigned with Him and His will and His grace. It's not about us tugging on His shirt tail and saying, we want this from you. It's about throwing ourselves at His feet and saying, I need your grace now. And so what we find ourselves in is, is either whether, it's a, whether we're dealing with the things that grip us in the moment or we're dealing with the things that we're obsessed over, we need to be finding ourselves where our response is to cry out to God for grace. Aware of this, that Paul prayed three times for that thorn to be removed. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient. You are asking for what is sufficient. So you throw yourself at the feet of God. You pray to Him. 
in the moments that grip you and when you're obsessing, because God gives that grace. In fact, what we know is, I love the passage in James. It was one of the first passages that I wrestled with when I was being discipled. In James chapter 4 and verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here it is, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It goes something like this. If we find ourselves dealing with those moments that grip us with fear, anxiety, and temptation, here's the thing. If we're blatantly honest with ourselves, and I've been there myself, we're blatantly honest with ourselves, it isn't that we don't stop and pray because we don't know it's available to us. It may be because we actually don't think it will work, but my argument would be, in my own life I know this is the case, I stopped and prayed expecting relief instead of grace. I expected a change in my circumstance instead of the strength to bear up under it. I wanted him to use me more rather than to glorify himself. But when I actually find myself saying, no, no, I'm going to stop and pray, I, not because I don't, I don't fail to pray because I don't think it will work. I don't fail to pray because I don't know it's available to me. Oftentimes I fail to pray because I don't want to give up what I'm holding on to. I find the fear and anxiety in some way therapeutic or titillating. I find the temptation something that I actually want to yield to, that I don't want to give up, that I don't want to walk away from. When we actually stop in the moments that grip us, stop and pray, we are checking our thoughts. We're not giving way to our feelings. We're checking our thoughts. I'm stopping right now. You're sitting alone somewhere. You're holding a piece of technology. You know you can view anything that you want. And you're tempted to view things that you know are not what you should be viewing. That will lead you to lustful and impure thoughts or lustful and impure actions. In that moment, just stop. God, give me grace. I'm about to step out of line and I need grace. Why don't we do that? Because we've chosen to step out of line. We don't want to not do it. We, we, so many times I think we fail to stop and pray because we don't want to correct our course. But in the discipline of stopping and praying, it's not an argument about whether or not it works. It's actually disciplining yourself to acknowledge before God humbly and obediently, you have another way. And I want to stop right now. If you're dealing with the obsession, you're clinging to it, you're holding to it. The reason that we don't want to stop and pray because it's become part of who we are. I think the Psalms are blatantly honest about this. I think you can read the Psalms and it's great to see all the theology and all the, the blessings and encouragement that we find there. But look underneath and you will see a man who is seriously struggling with life. Power, success, failure, fear, anxiety, temptation. David's worried about his enemy. His enemies in the plural. This is a guy that actually, when he would go to get a lamb from a wolf or a bear, if he'd grab him by the beard and take it away from him, if they turned to attack him, he'd kill him with his bare hands. What's he afraid of? He's human. Underneath that is real honesty, but he still goes through the discipline of crying out to God. 
This is one of the things that makes him a man after God's own heart. He doesn't continue down the path. He stops. So listen, when feelings of fear and moments of anxiety and the onset of a temptation beset us, we would do well to stop and pray. To draw near to God. Throw ourselves at His feet and ask for these things, grace and strength and wisdom. Because those things, He said in His Word, He will give you. He will give you. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, echoed the words of Jesus that were just read at the outset of chapel. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you catch that? This verse is actually underscoring the whole argument of the series. The peace of God that comes from aligning ourselves with Him surpasses all comprehension and it guards our hearts and minds. We do not need to be subject to our frailties and failings and cultural issues and circumstances. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And there it comes down to what we sang about. God loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And He's given us access to Himself through His Son Jesus. He's given us access through Jesus to do just what we're talking about. To pray to Him. And I'm convinced that by disciplining ourselves to pray, we will find peace and freedom that is not tied solely to our feelings or our circumstances. And that will surpass all understanding. Whether we are obsessing about something or find ourselves attacked in the moments, stop and pray. The act of praying is a spiritual discipline that is intended for our good and for our benefit. I came across a poem recently, and I'd like to close with that, by William Robinson, Robinson When I Stop and Pray. <clears throat> when the storm clouds boil around me and the lightning splits the sky, when the howling wind assaults me and life's sea is rolling high, when my heart is filled with terror and my fears I can't allay, then I find sweet peace and comfort when I simply stop and pray. When the things of life confound me and my faith is ebbing low, when my trusted friends betray me and my heart is aching so, when the night seems black and endless and I long for light of day, then I find a silver dawning when I simply stop and pray. There are things beyond the heavens I can't begin to understand, but I know that God is living and I know He holds my hand. Yes, I know He watches o'er me all the night and all the day, He's always there to hear me when I simply stop and pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, <clears throat> give us the grace in the midst of living our lives in this broken and fallen world to come and draw near to You. Give us strength to stop in the midst of it and pray. Give us wisdom to back up from our obsessions or those moments that come upon us and stop and pray.
God, give us grace and wisdom and strength to face the temptations, fears, and anxieties of this life. For those in this room who are struggling with serious issues in these areas, give them grace to seek help. Give them grace to pray. Strengthen them. For those that are running from these issues, who are pretending that they do not affect them, who are refusing to bend their knees and bow their heads in humble submission to You, break them, Father. In a loving and gracious way, call them to Yourself and give them the grace to submit. Father, for those in the room who are wanting to pray and lacking the drive, the strength and will to do it, Give them, by Your grace, the willingness and desire to stop and to pray. May Your Spirit be at work in all of us, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, to use Your Word to draw us closer to You, to strengthen us in our faith, to give us what is required to live lives that are pleasing to You. Father, keep us from the sensibilities of this world. Teach us what it means to think biblically about our minds and hearts. Give us the fortitude to walk a different path. Father, we pray that You would use this time together this morning to cause us to reflect upon the way we approach the circumstances of life and our obsessions with these things that overwhelm us. And Father, remind us always of the blessings that are ours in and through Your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has given us access to the throne of grace, we pray in His name alone. Amen. Have a great day.